0: Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show!
1: Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a
2: nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about?
0: Hi, everybody. I'm Eric Arnault, and this is the Logs Presents Your Stories podcast. Today, we've got the second part of our collaboration with Sit, Stay, Read, a really fantastic Chicago organization that brings dogs to underprivileged classrooms and gets kids to read to them, increasing their engagement with literacy and also giving them some awesome dog love, which there is no substitute for. They're seriously the best. On uh, this episode, you'll hear stories inspired by the theme Dog Days of Summer, From Sit, Stay, Read's program director, Kate McIlvain, volunteer, Kathleen Kirk, seasoned storyteller and show host, Kendra Stevens, blogger and gamer, Ajani Moulton, and me. Plus, me and Dwight do a couple songs about dogs. It is lots of fun. Uh, If you want to support Sit, Stay, Read's mission, that would be really great. You can visit their website at sitstayread.org and donate whenever you want. All the money you give them goes to great use for real. Uh, Worth noting, our next Live Your Story show is this Sunday, August 20th at the Beat Kitchen in Chicago. We're welcoming some hosts of a bunch of wonderful film podcasts, plus some of our favorite friends to share tales. Uh, The theme of the night, appropriately, is at the movies. We'll be raising money for Chicago Filmmakers, a great local nonprofit that helps budding filmmakers from diverse backgrounds, which is very clearly important. Uh, Also, there'll be great stories and songs, so you get a lot out of it. So does a great cause. Uh, so go to the Beat Kitchen at 7 p.m. this Sunday, alright? Alright, you got it. But first, enjoy the show.
2: You ain't nothing but a hound dog, Been
0: from, uh, what is her name, Big Mama, Big Mama Thornton, Big Mama Thornton pre-Elvis, about two years before Elvis got there, this lady did. So, guys, we actually added a couple storytellers at the break, this is pretty exciting, uh, so we've got a full slate tonight. Coming first to the stage, uh, this woman runs her own storytelling show the second Sunday of every month at uh, Uncommon Ground in Rogers Park. Uh, also, she is in an all-female Beastie Boys tribute band called She's Crafty. Uh, Super awesome. They're performing at the 5th Annual MCA Day, August 12th at Lincoln Hall. Please welcome Kendra Stevens.
3: I put my earbuds in and my running playlist on shuffle. I just dropped my friend off at the medical tent, hoping she's okay, and I'm about to run the next 18 miles alone. Since registering for the 2016 Chicago Marathon, my summer has been plagued with, What are you doing? Sometimes it's a quiet, nagging, You can't do this. It's too hard. Other times it's a loud, This is insane. Why are you doing this? Why does anyone do this? But the worst is the dark, oppressive, Hey, fatty, Who the fuck do you think you are? It's that voice I fear the most, more than not finishing the race, more than the pain of actually finishing the race, and now I am alone with that voice for the next four hours. Avoiding that voice is why I trained in a group with Chicago Endurance Sports, Sure, it was the structure, the coaching, finding my own tribe of -of back-of-the-pack runners, but mostly, it was to have people around me to drown out that voice. A training run is like a mullet. Business in the front, but the party is indeed in the back. Because us 12- and 13-minute milers have fun. We have to. We're out there a lot goddamn longer than fast people.
2: <laughs> A lot.
3: And I don't have anyone to talk to you now, but I do have the Hamilton soundtrack.
2: <laughs>
3: and I wouldn't say that the next 12 miles flew by, but I felt good. Lin Manuel Miranda's voice was the most prominent one in my head. All the training tells you that the race starts at mile 20. It's past the longest distance you ran in training. Your legs and lungs and feet and back hurt. You are 20, 26, 10, 13, 76.9% of the way there. So close yet so far. You do math or mental karaoke practice or play every part in Hamilton just to distract your brain from the fact you've still got 6.2 miles to go. My brain is delirious and tired from trying to figure out where I am in my five-minute run, one-minute walk intervals and telling myself to keep my core strong. It's easier for that voice to get through after twenty-one, twenty-two miles. And the crowd of spectators is thin. That voice whispers that no one cares. So I scan them for the funniest sign, the friendliest face, the hand outstretched for a high-five, and I find it. And I tell that voice it's wrong, and I pick up the pace a little. The burst of adrenaline fades after a quarter-mile. The sun is hot, and I can see the skyline where the finish line is buried, but I'm not there yet. I'm close enough, though, almost guaranteed to finish, that the voice changes its tactic. You have enough time. You can walk the rest, and you won't get cleared off the course. I am weary. Two miles left. It wouldn't be so bad if I walked the last two, would it? My feet get heavy. God fucking damn it, Stevens. You are going to fucking finish this fucking thing running because who the fuck gives up with two miles left because they're tired. Everyone is fucking tired. Besides... I don't want to fucking do this anymore, and the more you fucking want, the longer we have to fucking be out here. My inner drill sergeant has a very limited vocabulary. I get back on my run walk intervals mostly, and I start singing along to my iPod as I hit the home stretch. X, gonna give it to you, gonna give it to you. Mile 25. One more mile. I can see the huge screen projecting the race, and I know that I will turn onto Roosevelt there, immediately make it up the only hill on the course, turn on Columbus, and finish. It's there. I start counting down the mile. Then I see a one-mile-left sign. I forgot about the point two in 26.2. I burst into tears and I can't breathe. It's not just that voice telling me I can't do this anymore. It's my legs, my feet, my back, my arms. It all hurts so much. A spectator calls out, one mile left, Kendra. You can do it. My name is on my bib for this exact reason. (laughs) I gulp back some water and a shot off my inhaler. You are going to calm down and walk to that sign up there, Stevens. Then you are going to start your finish song, run around that corner, up Mount Roosevelt, turn on Columbus, and you are not just going to finish this fucking thing running. You are going to sprint across that finish line, and you are going to fight for every second and every step, but you are finishing a goddamn marathon today. Do you hear me? Do you fucking hear me, Stevens? I get to the sign, Cue Up Freedom by Beyonce and I turn it all the way up. And I can barely hear the spectators now and I think about the video and lemonade and the uproar over Beyonce's Super Bowl show and and I feel rage at systemic misogyny and systemic racist misogyny and I let it fuel me because water and energy gels do not work anymore. And I face mount roosevelt and i think about how hillary is going to be president it was october and i tell myself to get up that hill for her and for my nieces and for myself and halfway up my legs buckle a woman grabs my arm we're so close keep going she runs on kendrick lamar is starting to rap in my ears and my song will be ending soon concentrating on each step, one foot in front of the other. Beyonce singing, I'm going to keep running because a winner don't quit on herself. I crest the hill and I turn the final corner and there is the finish line. Half a block? Three quarters? I don't know. I barely know my own name right now. I just know that Beyonce is telling me to run and the finish seems further away than I thought and I just need to walk three steps because my legs are seizing up. And my song is about to end. You are fucking finishing this fucking thing running, Steven. So I run. There are bleachers. I know my boyfriend is there somewhere. He finished this race. The finish line is now 50 feet, 500 feet. I don't know the difference. But my song is about to end. My boyfriend is watching and the finish line is right there. Beyonce is telling me to run. My voice screams, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. And I find my very last reserve of energy and I sprint as fast as I can. My legs feel like they belong to someone else. Beyonce is telling me to run for the last time and I think I hear my name. I scan the bleachers, but the faces are a blur and I realize I'm almost at the finish and I'm not looking where I'm going and I am finishing this thing running, not tripping, so I look forward. The finish line is five steps away and I am in negative energy now, but I push my foreign legs to go just a bit faster in four, three, two, one, my right foot lands just over the timing mat and I have finished the fucking marathon. I double over and start sobbing. There are suddenly arms Supporting me, my boyfriend wraps me in a foil blanket, takes me to get my medal, grabs me granola bars, a banana, and the hardest-earned beer of my life. (laughs) My voice is telling me that I ran, I finished, a winner don't quit on herself. And that other voice is hiding in a corner, shamed at being so wrong.
2: Thank
0: you. you Let's do it after
3: fucking finishing the marathon. Oh my
0: god! Just like thinking about that makes me winded. Like, (laughs) (laughs) holy shit, that's amazing, Kendra. All right, coming next to the stage, we have another volunteer from Sit Stay Read. Please welcome Kathleen Kirk.
4: So I'm going to tell you a story called Orange You Glad. Uh, And frankly, it was never about the orange one way or the other. It was all about the dog collar. Uh, I had bought the dog collar because it looked like a log cabin quilt pattern. And it's one of my favorite quilt patterns. It's got a little block in the middle and borders around it that if you think figuratively, think would look like logs that put you together and build a log cabin. And this was for Lucy, the yellow dog of my dog duo. Einstein was the chocolate lab, and Lucy was the yellow lab. And she got the quilt-like collar because she was the girl. Einstein had a far more masculine collar, and it wasn't a quilt, but he, too, sort of always lusted after that big quilt-like collar. And I looked at Lucy's collar many times a day as we walked. I'd walk both dogs, and we'd walk for hours and miles, and I'd look at that collar, and I'd think to myself, that collar would make for a great quilt. Quilt. And frankly, it probably worked out well for Lucy, too, because it meant she could pull ahead of me and I could just adore the quilt collar that she was wearing. And she didn't get pulled back. So that was my mantra. That collar would make for a great quilt. So one day, I got ready to make a quilt like that collar. It was the pink and purple that I'd always gravitated toward. So I started pulling pink and purple from my stash. I built a pile, there was an obvious red that's the traditional center of that log cabin quilt. So I was pulling pink, I was pulling purple, and I pulled red. And I built my big stash I was going to work from. So off I headed to head to quilt with my girls, my quilting friends. Uh, And we were getting together for a day of the quilting, and upon settling in and starting to chat, I started unpicking the pieces from my pile and sewing them together, running them through the sewing machine, strip after strip, pink and purple and red and at one point one of them stopped and said well where's the orange like what orange why orange just to put a little attitude in it and they kept saying well the collar has orange in it i had never seen the orange and i reacted with horror thinking i have orange bias and I'd already cons- always considered myself this very inclusive person. And here I was discovering this very biased and limited perspective I had. I'd never noticed. And I, I realized I'd been average, uh, orange blind, mile after mile, walking with Lucy in front of me, wearing this collar that I was adoring. And I didn't have any orange strips. I, I hadn't pulled any orange strips. And I hadn't pulled any orange strips because I probably didn't have any orange fabric from which I could rip strips to add to my strip pile. So there I was without orange, but quilting girl pals being what they are quickly jumped in and gave me lots of orange. And uh, so I started adding it in, and it was pink strips, purple strips, red centers, orange. And I did the same thing over and over again. And slowly, this quilt, representing the collar was coming to life. And in where I used to live, my design wall, where people hang up and sort of audition different layouts for their quilts, my design wall was actually my sewing room floor, And so I would lay out the way a project was starting to look. And then Lucy the Yellow Lab and Einstein the Chocolate Lab would come in. They believed they had a far better sense of design than I did. And frankly, they would lay on the pieces. And and so they would get rearranged. And often their design, their new layout was far better than the one I'd started with. So I looked at the one they came up with and I thought, I'm going to go with it. Because now I had the pink and the red and the purple and the orange. So I started putting together the design, and I, and I loved how it was looking, but something was missing. And I went back, so conscious of my bias at this point, to check the color. Had I missed another color? No, there was pink, there was pink, there was red, there was red, there was purple, there was purple, there was orange, there was orange. And I couldn't realize, couldn't figure out what I had missed. And then I realized that I'd been looking at the collar all this time, but then I shifted and started looking at the quilt. And the way the quilt always turned out was the pink and the purple and the red and the orange and Lucy laying on at the yellow lab. But more importantly, Einstein, the chocolate lab, was laying. And that's what was missing was the chocolate in the quilt. So the way the quilt finally turned out, the true representation of the dogs and the collar has the pink, the purple, the orange, the red, and Einstein, the chocolate. (laughs) So aren't you glad? (laughs) (laughs) That is lovely. Oh my gosh, thank you, Kathleen. Thank you.
0: Oh my gosh, dogs are so helpful for things like that. Amazing. Right? Oh. Collaborator artistically, did you give your dog co-production credit on the quilt?
4: You so, know, I should check. The, I, actually, I think I did. Yes. I think about <laughs> the label.
0: Got to get those credits. That's one thing I've It's all about the credits. Thank you, Kathleen Kirk. That was lovely. I love it. Coming up next, this young man, second timer at Your Stories. He is a podcaster, a video game expert and fanatic, and also, as of today, I believe a published author for the first time, published blogger. Yeah, that's published uh, blogger. I work for the Odyssey. Yeah, very cool, Mr. Johnny Moulton, everybody.
5: Uh, Okay, so. I'm going to do a little story about my dearly departed uncle and, you know, my grandmother who was his caretaker for a while, but, you know, she's living in the bottom floor of our house right now. But they used to be essentially inseparable. Um, But I spent, you know, enough time with these two people in my life to fill several summers. And, uh, you know, in Berlin... Which was the second place that they actually lived, or the place where they first lived together? This was after my uncle had his, no, actually, it was after my grandmother could not live in her home in Chicago anymore. So, this was actually before my uncle needed my grandmother to take care of him. Just to show you how you know gracious he was. I mean, of course, it's family. You do any you do anything for family, but this man essentially let his, uh, sister move into his, you know, gigantic Berwyn house, uh, on a, on a whim, on, yes, in, in a moment without question. And, uh, and then he had his stroke, um, a couple of years in. And basically I, I would go to Berwyn every summer. And in Berwyn, I was I was king. You know, anything I wanted, I had it. I, I was baby boy. Um, I, you know, I, I, every cereal, the fruity pebbles, everything. Like I, mean, I was, I was introduced to mixing cereals at this place. I, I did not know that frosted flakes and fruity pebbles could exist in the same bowl. Nor did I know that you could then mix granola with that and create a wonderful sort of crunchy sugar... I, I, I stayed up really late then.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
5: but yeah. And uh, you know, every time I went there, I, you know, I got new video games. My Uncle Robert would take me on a shopping trip to GameStop. Um, we'd go and get some Salermos, which is like this real... It's not that good pizza, but you know what? Pizza, <laughs> when you're young, is just good no matter what. You can get it so you know, infrequently. So... You know, we'd go there, and I'd I, I feel, you know, amazing. Because, you know, being at school, being at home, it, it sucks. And when you're out of school, being at home and being nerdy and not having friends, it sucks. But when you just have this, you know, one, you, basically big black Santa, I mean, <laughs> who it took you to get whatever you wanted, it, it, it was amazing. And, um, you know, experiencing that. Uh, it really developed my summers. I mean, I would essentially... This man gave me his laptop. And he said that it was his laptop, but he gave me his laptop. Let me tell you why. I broke his laptop at least ten times. <laughs> because I downloaded so many free games. Because, you know, of course I don't want to spend money on laptop games. But... I downloaded so many free games that, like, viruses would just be <laughs> all... Of, like, like, you would see just the weirdest advertisements. Some advertisements for stuff I didn't even know existed, you know, when I was, like, eight. So um, <laughs> I, I had to learn how to, you know, debug a computer at an early age just so it would be okay by the time he got there. And even when he found out, he was still, like... A, okay dude come on you gotta you you gotta fix it a little bit better than that, and then that that'd be the discussion but even back in Chicago, you know when I was seven eight uh living with my grandmother because my my mother had to take a you know six month long trip or something for work. It was really weird. I don't remember it. All I remember is that she went to Disney World without me because it was in California. So we still, that's still a sore point. I'm probably going to talk to her about that when I get home. But um, (laughs) yeah, so I would, you know, I'd sit and basically have whatever I wanted to eat. My grandmother was like a master chef back then to me. Now I realize that, you know, buttered rice and buttered noodles and ramen and all that, like, salt was just delicious back then. So, <laughs> I mean, of course, eventually there was a certain point when, like, I realized things were getting bad, even for me when I was seven, when I was, you know, taking Pepto-Bismol, like, you know, <laughs> like, it was something regular to do, but, um... Yeah, so I, I would watch you know weird Adult Swim animes late at night when she fell asleep. She wouldn't care if she was awake because I mean we mostly just watched like gooey on the U, and we just we, we'd sit and watch the Three Stooges and all that good stuff. But um, but you know my uncle passed very recently. I can't tell you the exact day. Um It was you know a couple months ago and. I think it's telling, and the reason why I wanted to tell this sort of impromptu rant slash story is that um, I remember the good times better than I do the bad times. I remember, you know, the playing games until late at night, the figuring out what fan fiction was one day, and then being like, I gotta stay away from this stuff forever. Um... (laughs) I, I remember the you know the 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 trips, even the trips when I didn't get games because it did happen a couple times. <laughs> there was just nothing that I wanted, um, and and I remember all of that more than that one day when you know I was there and he passed away, and you know the, the games that I got from him, one of which was this first, was the first Wii game I ever loved. Wii was a game system. Which back then, if you had it, it was like, you know, oh, you got the motion touch thing. But, you know, Xbox 360 was out. It was really low quality. It was, like, low fidelity and stuff. People were like, wow, it feels like I'm watching, like, a VHS tape or something. <laughs> and, um... So, I, I, I felt a little bit salty about having it and not having the Xbox. Because, you know, kids are ungrateful and all that. But, um he got me this game, Boom Blocks. And it was this, this weird little game. Like it was, like it couldn't have been made sober. Cause it was like, <laughs> it was like Jenga. It was like somebody said, it's so fun to knock down all the blocks in Jenga, but you have to build them back up. You have to like put them back in the box and it's really annoying. But then they made a virtual version of that and populated with like these weird block creatures. And it was just the funnest thing for, like, an 11-year-old who, like, couldn't play GTA without his mom finding out about it. And um, I was just like, oh, my God, this thing's amazing. And he bought me that game full price. You know, all the other games, it was used. But $60 this man spent on that one game. And, I, and it kept me busy for the entire summer. And... Then this is the last game I'm going to talk about. Um, And this really is, like, sort of symbolic and stuff. It was this one GameCube game. It was called Gotcha Force. Now, Gotcha Force was basically Toy Story on crack. (laughs) And when I say it was Toy Story on crack, I mean, you were, like, these little action figures that got empowered by, like, a weird alien meteorite. So now they're, like, alive and stuff. So, yes, Toy Story on crack. Um, and basically, they would like fight each other and stuff. Now, Gotcha Force was like what thirty dollars. Now it's like three hundred. And what that represents to me is that uh, these little moments, you know, these little because I mean, I wouldn't play that stuff now. I don't find significance in it right now. I mean, I do, but I don't find. You know, I wouldn't do the stuff that you know old me did back then, but. Just the fact that that game, which was worth so little, is now worth like 10 times, uh, it, it's amazing to me. And, and to me, it shows that, like, just because of the fact that, you know, I don't remember when my uncle died, even though I was there, that these little moments, you know, stuff like his barbecue sauce, man was a pit master. All right i don't care you could, you could throw down with Bobby Flay if you wanted to, and um, just remembering these little moments, those are the things that really you know fuel me and you know tell me to do better because he started to give up on his weight loss at a certain point, this is when things started to get really bad, but I remembered. The portion where he didn't, it was right after his stroke. This man was walking without a cane. This man was walking upstairs. This man was you know, losing weight. This man was breathing better. And what, what happened to him was that he didn't get a job in time. Was that the first job that he applied to was, um, you know, they, they didn't give him the position because people with disabilities are, you know, discriminated against. When it comes to work, work like that, and he just uh, he he got depressed, and and I, I will never blame him for that. But he, you know, during the during during that year or so, I've never been more inspired by a man, and I, and I used to be really big, you know, Pepto Bismol, you know, I was what two fifty at a certain point, but. I mean, just seeing him do that, him after experiencing all this neurological damage, really, you know, changed who I wanted to be, and who I started to be, and um, yeah. So I guess this is like a little uh, tribute, but also, you know, like, don't sleep on we either, okay? I'm insane. But uh, R.I.P. Uncle Robert. And Oh, and we have a dog named Fatima, who he absolutely loved, and he used to sometimes slip her human food, and we would pretend like we didn't notice, because, you know, like, a little bit, like, bad, but like, okay, you know, guilty pleasure. I mean, who doesn't want to see a dog eating the pizza crust occasionally? It's pretty fun to look at, but, <laughs> but um, I mean,
0: yeah, so... Thank you so much. Guys, We I, I like to say the tagline of the show is disastrous earnestness. And not to imply that anyone's story is disastrous, but I really like the earnest aspect of it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, we have two storytellers left tonight. Uh, one of them is me. I'm going to share a story. Uh, I know, right? It rarely happens. I'm going to get vulnerable up in here. Uh, P.S., I don't know if you've noticed the... Other than maybe Logan's, which you could construe as summer, the, the show has kind of gone dog summer, dog summer, like perfect uh, alteration. I'm going to keep that up. I just lucked into that, but let's just say it's because I'm good at show running. Let's just say. <laughs> uh, so earlier this summer, I took the show on tour. Some of you know that. A lot of you don't. Uh, I t- uh, quit my job, and I went on a tour of the western United States. I think we had seven stops overall out of the big cities west of Chicago uh, it was really cool. It's something I've always wanted to do. And I took my dog with me and the most perplexing question I got about going on tour was, why did you take your dog with you? Which to me is like asking, Hey, why do you breathe air? Why did you stop to eat? Cause it's my dog. Like, why wouldn't I want to? Like, doesn't that sound like a dream? I don't know. I guess some people don't get it, but I loved having my dog with me on the road. So it was just me and my dog and my phone full of music and my guitar. And it was sweet. I'm going to share some of my favorite uh, dog moments from the trip with you. Uh, so our first stop was in Davenport, Iowa. My friend, uh, from grade school works in a day home for, uh, people with, uh, like disabilities there. And she asked me to come play some songs and tell some stories to her, uh, her people. And I did. And, and they let me bring the dog in. And for sure, the dog, like, upstaged me a hundred percent. Like, they were kind of into me, but like, oh man, AC was the star of that show. And, uh, it was really sweet. Like, there was, so much love in that room and, and uh I mean I think that that's just like the best thing about dogs is they uh they're like little locuses of love. Like she was just wandering around letting everybody bask in her glow and receiving it back and it was so sweet. And I oh those people were so nice. They wrote me thank you notes afterwards, just a great time. Uh in Los Angeles, my dog got to chill on a couch built or paid for with Chris Hardwick money at the uh Nerdist showroom at Meltdown Comics. And the sound guy there, who I swear to God, his name is Beowulf Jones. He is the only person with that name. Uh, he took a picture of my dog and posted it on his Instagram. And it got more likes than people who were at the show that night. But that's okay. Um, in San Francisco, our show was at a punk bar at 6 p.m. on a Saturday, happy hour. There was like six people in the bar and they let me bring my dog in. They're like, as long as she's cool, we're cool. Which is like a really like punk San Francisco aesthetic. <laughs> I really appreciated it. And uh, some of you guys probably know Shelby uh, Shelby Mongan. She's a regular storyteller here. Her mom came to that show and watched my dog while I did hosting duties. That was really sweet. Uh, the best, the happiest I was to have my dog was... So, little trivia, even in, in May, uh, you can get ice storms in the mountains of Montana and that happened to me so it was like 30 degrees like freezing rain going up and down mountains they actually like closed the expressway about 45 minutes after i drove through it it was that dangerous i didn't know like i come from chicago i'm like fuck it it's ice but it's still like terrifying <laughs> and it was so nice to have my dog, because like, okay, I should tell you, I built like a contraption for her because she's like a big dog. I built a contraption in the front seat so she could lay down in the front seat so she didn't have to stand up all day. So I put my amp, my acoustic guitar amp on the floor beneath the seat, and then I folded up some blankets and put it on top of the amp so like the the blankets had continuity with the seat so she could just lay down across it in front, which I was like very proud of doing that. Um, <laughs> And, like, I was holding on to her the whole time. Like, probably I should have had both hands on the steering wheel. But I had one hand on the steering wheel and one hand on my dog as I was going, like, 30 miles per hour through this fucking ice storm in Montana in May. And it was like, I mean, they talk about therapy dogs. I I don't have any kind of paperwork for AC. But she probably, like, helped me save off a heart attack in that moment. As I kept telling her, like, vocalizing, hey, AC, it's okay, it's okay. But, like, I'm talking to myself, clearly. But, man... I was so glad uh, to have her there with me, and it was just just the best. And so let me get back to that original question of, like, why, why did you bring your dog? Even though the answer should be self-evident, there's always more to it. Um, so I never really had, like, a true family vacation, like, when I was, uh, younger, my parents would go up to a a cabin that my dad's parents owned in Michigan, and that's not really a vacation, but that was, like, what we did, like, twice a summer. Oh, we're going up north. All right, it's not really a vacation. I never got, like, the Disneyland experience or overseas or whatever. I'm not trying to complain, like, I had a very privileged life. I'm just saying, like, I never got the family vacation experience that so many people have. Um... I remember maybe 5 or 6 years ago my grandmother was in a nursing home and it was before she got like really really bad but bad enough to be in a nursing home you know couldn't live by herself and I asked her hey would you want to take a vacation and kind of I guess the understated premise is like before uh you know you you can't anymore before you pass away and it was a very sad conversation she said to me I I don't think I can do it anymore I don't think uh, I couldn't make it through that kind of travel, and that was probably true, but it was very heartbreaking, and, and like, the truth of it is I don't really have any other family but AC right now. I've never said that at your story show before, by the way. Holy fuck. Well, now you guys all know something most people don't know about me, but uh this trip was my family vacation. Like, I got to take my dog, and it felt fucking good, and it was the best, and, like, If we're being honest, and thank you to everyone who financed the tour, be it it the nerdalogs, or Advertising Revenue or our backers on Patreon, but kind of the tour was just an excuse to take a vacation with my dog, with my family. And it was the best time, and I'm so glad I did it. So that was my family vacation. If you finance the tour through Patreon, I fucking kept up my end of the bargain. I posted those episodes. You got lots of bonus content. So don't tell me I didn't do my damn job as a showrunner. Guys, we have one story left tonight. Uh, I mentioned I went to high school with Dan. I also went to high school with this lady. And boy, it is a real treat to to do this project with her now. I, uh, when I saw the organization that she was working for, I was like, oh my god, Kate. This is awesome. I want to do something with you so bad. So again, please drop some money in the guitar case on your way out. That would be great. And please give a big round of applause to, from Sit, Stay, Read, Kate McElvain.
1: So actually, this is the story of the best person I ever met. Uh, And she's not only the best person I ever met, she's my best friend in the truest sense. Um, We've known each other for almost nine years, and we're pretty much inseparable. Uh, She's the Kimmy Gibbler to my DJ Tanner. She's the Samantha to my Carrie, and it fits that she'd be the Samantha. She's way more worldly than me. She's lived in more places, and she's definitely had more lovers than me. Plus, I wear more adventurous outfits than she does, so that obviously makes me (laughs) <laughs> uh, she's the scully to my molder, and I'm definitely molder here since I'm taller and nerdier than she is, and her hair is redder than mine, and I look better in aviator sunglasses. So, yeah. Um, but what I've been thinking about a lot lately is uh, when I think of us, is how she's sort of the ET to my Elliot. Now, those of you who know me may be confused by this analogy, since you know that I spent all of my childhood, quite a bit of my adolescence, and okay, all of my adolescence and quite a bit of my adulthood, being terrified of E.T. And when I say terrified, I mean throw myself onto my bed screaming, Mommy, Mommy, save me, save me, at the sight of E.T. on Telemundo at age six. I mean... I mean, hide under your mom's shirt like my actual head forced under the back of her actual shirt like a turtle trying to make its way into another turtle shell through the butt side of the first turtle shell. <laughs> for the entire 127 minute line for the ET ride at Universal Studios followed by nothing but a constant stream of tears during the 127 seconds of the actual ride. <laughs> at (laughs) age eight, straight-up terrified of E.T. But now that I'm sappy, nerdy, and old, all I see in that classic Spielbergian masterpiece, besides Elliot's insanely cool wardrobe, where can I find a red hoodie that will fit me like that, is the beautiful bond between Elliot and E.T. They are a perfect pair and complement each other in every way. They're so deeply connected that after E.T. gets captured by the government, I think that's what happens. (laughs) Full disclosure here, I don't think I've ever actually seen the whole thing from start to finish, really, only kind of pieces here and there. And I know I never listened to the entire Golden Book audiobook on record. Read by Michael Jackson Yep, that is a real thing We had in my house I wish we still had it I have no idea where it is All the way through In fits of childhood masochism I listened to it often Hiding behind my couch With the record player And the accompanying golden book But I could never get past Oh, I don't know The first eight sentences or so Because hearing Michael Jackson Read that book to me Was creepy as fuck (laughs) Anyway They're so deeply connected that after E.T. gets captured by the government, I think, and gets all shrivelly, pasty sick from being in captivity, right, Elliot starts to get sick too. What happens to the one happens to the other, and that's how we are. If I'm sick, she's sick. If she's sad, I'm sad. And our hearts most definitely light up when we're together. I've even gone so far as to start scouring the internet for the perfect picture of E.T. and Elliot that I can use to superimpose our likenesses onto their faces. This should be possible enough, and once that amazing piece of art exists, I'm framing it and hanging it. My best friend is incredibly wise, and I really admire the way she's able to choose what works for her and go with it. She doesn't waste a lot of time waffling, but she does love waffles. And she never dwells or holds a grudge because she's a lot cooler and more mature than me. We talk every day, every second that we're together, or at least I talk to her constantly. To be honest, she does most of the listening because she knows that's what I need. The thing is, I spend a lot of my days at work listening to other people say things and trying to act like I know what I'm doing and what I should say back to them while still sounding assured, authoritative, and friendly. You can get by on those three things alone for a long time. Seven years, as it turns out. <laughs> I just had my workiversary a couple days ago. On one hand, uh, 12 hours of that three-ring circus is exhausting for me, and I don't want to do anything but take a bath and watch Poirot on Netflix when I get home, which is awesome, and you should watch it if you haven't. But on the other hand, at the end of the day, I feel like I have a whole day's worth of my own crap to get off my chest, and she's always willing to hear what I have to say. I have more selfies on my phone of us together than I do with anyone else. And that's saying a lot considering I have a boyfriend of 14
2: years.
1: (laughs) I took 37 selfies of us together in the last week alone. That's true. Actually, and obviously, the person of the, the story of the best person I ever met is, of course, the story of my dog, Lucy. The goose, gooser, gator, gooser, gator, bear, bear, goose, bear, goose, girl. Lucy T., Lucy Papoosi, Goose Dog, Lucy T. Tenderfoot Pendergrass mcilvain That's her full name, obviously. <laughs> the list goes on forever for real. She mostly calls me mom, or sometimes Kate, or when talking to Dan, your girlfriend, as in, Dan, when are you going to kick your girlfriend out so we can finally get married? We're pretty sure she's secretly waiting for Dan to break up so they can be together forever. And yes, she does have kind of a weird quasi-Southern accent. (laughs) The goose is deep. Sometimes, out of nowhere, she'll ask us something like, Guys, what is reality? (laughs) Or, how much did I cost? Or, how many licks... Does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? (laughs) Or sometimes I'll find her sitting quietly and looking off into the distance, thinking. Like, really thinking about something real. Honestly, it's a little unnerving. As someone who was badly mistreated before we met her, the gator keeps a very small, very close circle of friends. Me... Dan, my sister, before she got pregnant with my nephew Owen. After that, it was never the same between them. (laughs) So weird. She knew right away. And a very, very select group of people who can watch her if we go on vacation without her. If you can call it vacation when Lucy's not there. Which, in my opinion, you cannot. And by a very select group of people for that, I mean one person. Literally, there's one person. (laughs) When people talk about dogs, they talk about unconditional love. I've heard that before, and I've agreed before that the beautiful thing about humans and dogs is unconditional love. The more I think of it, though, my dog's love for me is totally conditional. The conditions are few and clear and simple, but they are there. Lucy allows me to be her best friend under the conditions that I will care for her health and well-being That I will never raise my voice or my hand to her. That I will be silly and snuggly every day, which I am. That I will always make room for her in my bed, or maybe it's more like she's making room for me. (coughs) That I will talk softly to her. That I will love, honor, and cherish her all the days of my life. I think that's supposed to be about dogs, right? (laughs) In return, she listens to me talk for what I'm sure feels like an eternity to her. I'm pretty sure that every one human minute is equivalent to 27 dog minutes. She keeps me warm at night. She licks my face when I cry. She also licks my underwear that I leave on the bathroom floor when I'm in the shower. If I close the door all the way before she comes into the bathroom, she'll paw at the door until I get out of the shower to open it. Then she makes a weird little clothes nest and gets to work. It's so gross and so weird. Do your dogs do this? Please nod your heads yes. (laughs) Now, For the podcast, everyone's nodding. It's not just me, and it's not weird. (laughs) Either way, she's just there. It's too much for me to think about how someday she really won't be there or anywhere anymore. It is awful for me to think about how there is a series of some of the saddest moments in my life coming up wherein I'll have to say goodbye to my goose girl. I imagine it like the end of E.T. when he says to Elliot, come. And Elliot says, stay. Stay. And they both know that neither is possible. They hug for an eternity. And I love how Steven Spielberg lets that play out for a long time. I wish more movies took their time like that because that's how long you would really hug a friend in real life that you knew you would never see again. They lose me a little bit, though. In the next line, E.T. points to Elliot's head and says, I'll be right here. But we all know that's not where your best friend will be when when you need them again. When Lucy and I say goodbye for the last time... She won't be pointing to my head. She'll be resting her paw on my heart. And I know that's where I'll always find her.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Kate
0: McElwain. Oh, man. That made me all emotional. And so I'm going to class it down with a terrible joke. Do you guys think Michael Jackson reads like he, he sings? Yes. But, and, and then Elliot phoned home. Duh! That, by the way, I used to think like uh, he—he was the best Michael Jackson vocal tick, but in like the last year, I realized Da is really the king. (laughs) Trust me on this; it is the most fun, guys. That's almost the end of our show. Thank you so much for coming. What a great time! Uh, Give it up for everybody who told the story tonight. Dwight, come here.
2: (laughs) I'm gonna. Don't you
0: feel bad about how mean you are to your dog after the lovely stories everybody told?
2: (laughs) <laughs> not
0: <at all. laughs> So this is a song uh, by a band with a very aggressive name, uh, but it's a very sweet song about a dog. The band is called Suicide Machines. And I know, right? But the song is the a song. A... oh, you know, the song? it's sweet, right? Isn't it cute? It's not really about suicide or machines. It's just about loving a dog. It's called Sometimes I Don't Mind. You want to give me the tempo? One, two, three, four <laughs>
2: Way you walk, there's something there, the lights are spark inside of me, and it makes me wanna sing, makes me forget everything. There's something there inside your eyes, lets me know you never lie, you fill me up, and I know what you need, do you know what you mean? Day. It's like the first day, and I talk to you sometimes, even though you never talk back. And I buy you things sometimes, cause I don't mind. There's something with the way you act, it makes me laugh when you chase the cats, you chase them around. And when it's close, the defeated time, you stare at me and whine down, you hardly sit, I give you a bath and you smell like shit, but you don't mind, and we go out every now and then, and when you're done then we come back in, When well, I watch you sleep sometimes, and it feels like the first time, and you're always on my mind, every day, it's like the first day, and I talk to you sometimes, even though you never talk back
0: comments are like the most toxic place on the internet but one of my favorite comments on that video is this is a really misogynistic love song by someone who clearly like, didn't take any time to really think about the lyrics and yet i bet it's a think piece on some jezebel imitator out there somewhere
2: oh boy i actually sing that song to my dog every once in a while aww, aww. dwight has two dogs they're lovely I love one of them. (laughs) Oh my god.
0: One time we used to work together. One time he brought one into work and he put it up on the counter. I think I still have a picture. It's like the most adorable thing. And he just like wanted love. And I was like, look at this piece of shit.
2: (laughs) I love him. I just like, you know, he's the boy. So I make fun of him and stuff.
0: This has been a NerdLogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdlogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome.
2: Thank you all. Thank you all.
4: I am grabbot23548x.